You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. Stephen Simcox here with you. I'm a producer at 1660 ESPN Central Texas and also your host of this daily pod. Appreciate you tuning in. On Thursday, November 5th, we are a couple days away from TCU having a chance to get back to 500 when they take on Texas Tech on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Later on in the show, in the next segment, I want you to hear from Josh Neighbors. So, as part of the Locked On Network, there's a Locked On Big 12 podcast. It's a, a daily podcast dedicated to the Big 12 Conference, football and basketball. So, Josh joined my radio show this morning, and I wanted you to hear that. We talk about the Big 12, not really TCU-specific, but I think it's always good to hear um, what else is going on in the conference. And then in the third segment, we'll do a little more uh, diving and digging into TCU and Texas Tech, which should be a fun one on Saturday afternoon. So I wanted to take a look at where Tech is as a team, what they've been going through this year, and some of the the changes they've made personnel-wise as they go through the season. And this is a Texas Tech group that recently made a change at quarterback, Alan Bowman, who'd been there for a couple years, um, has dealt with a lot of injuries, and he has been healthy this year. It looks like this was finally the season where he was going to break through, and it just hasn't really worked out. He hasn't played well. So a couple weeks ago, they made the decision to go to Henry Columbia. They are 1-1 one one since they made that change. They pulled out a game against West Virginia, 34-27, and then just got blitzed by OU, 62-28. So they're 2-4 and four on the year. Uh, they're at a pretty critical time. I mean, you look at their schedule. They got TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Kansas. So some, at least on the surface, winnable games coming up. But since Columbia's taken over, He's got 755 yards passing. He's completing about 70% of his passes, averaging about seven yards an attempt, has six touchdowns, three interceptions. He's been sacked seven times. Bowman wasn't sacked all season. So I guess that's Columbia just holding on to the ball a little bit more. I don't know if they're having some issues with pass protection. But definitely, I mean, he's a serviceable guy. And you saw the offense get a spark in – that game against West Virginia. Here's my curiosity about this game from a TCU defensive perspective. So we saw for a a half that they were really dominant against Baylor. Now Baylor's offense is atrocious right now. In the second half, things started to get away from a little bit. But Baylor couldn't really challenge this team vertically at all. They just couldn't do it. They didn't have the personnel to get big plays. You saw Squirrel Williams in the second half. Uh, one of their running backs sort of get off and have some big plays. And Brewer was able to move around in the pocket and make some plays on his feet. But they just didn't have the guys to challenge this TCU defense vertically. Can Texas Tech do that? Well, I think a lot of that depends on what the status of T.J. Vasher is. T.J. Vasher's been injured. He did not play in the West Virginia game. He did not play in the Oklahoma game. T.J. Vasher is a legitimate NFL wide receiver. He might be a first or second round pick. He's that good. He's a monster. He's got 
163 yards on 14 catches and what amounts to basically four games played this season. So, if he's on the field, you're looking at a totally different game. I would imagine that maybe Keon Stewart gets the matchup with him. Might mix in Trey. Um, this is this might be a week where you really miss Noah Daniels. I, I don't feel like the effect of not having Noah Daniels on the field was felt in that Baylor game because I just don't think R.J. Sneed and Yusuf Terry are great wide receivers. I think Tyquan Thornton's a really good wide receiver, but he got banged up early in that game and did not return. Um, Eric Ezukana is their leading wide receiver right now. He's got 430 yards on 32 catches. And then a pretty steep drop-off to Kashawn Carter. And it sort of goes from there. But they've still been able to sling the ball around a little bit without without Vasher in the lineup. And running, they've actually been pretty efficient. They're averaging about five yards per carry. Uh, Sharadrick Thompson is their leading rusher with 378 yards. And they have 879 yards on the ground on the season on 191 carries. In comparison, TCU, which is known for having the stable of running backs, has 837 yards on 201 carries. So, Tech's making the most of when they go to the ground game, they're moving the football. Is this another week where we see this TCU defense clamp down and make plays and prevent the Tech offense from getting going? Because if you can jump out to an early lead again, that would be huge. I feel like that K-State game sort of got away from them because they scored early and then went through a drought, and the defense was doing enough. But it didn't really feel like – it was the second half before the defense really turned the intensity up and started just absolutely shutting down Kansas State. Can you do that this week? I'm not sure. I think Tech's offense is better. I feel like they're somewhere between Oklahoma and – Baylor and Kansas State with Will Howard. I think they're slightly better than the two teams I mentioned at the end there, but not nearly as good as Oklahoma. Um, This is not the Tech teams that you saw in the Cliff Kingsbury days and the Mike Leach days, but they can still score. And I'd love to see this TCU defense build on what they did last week in Waco. It might not be an exact blueprint because they're going against a better offense this week, but can you get pressure on the quarterback? Does Gary feel comfortable bringing the occasional blitz? I mean, he was bringing extra pressure against the Bears on Saturday, and that's not something he typically does. He'll do it in spots, but not consistently. Can they stop the run? Is this a week where we find out that losing Corey Bethley is a big deal? We should find out early in the game, because like I said, Tech has shown they can run the ball at a pretty good clip and be consistent with it when, uh, when they commit to it. Coming up. We'll uh, we'll talk to Josh Neighbors about the Big 12. We'll also get more in-depth on this Texas Tech matchup. This is the Locked On Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And before we get to that Josh Neighbors interview, I want to talk to you about something I talk to you about pretty much every day, and that's Coors Light. We don't get much time to chill now. It's it's an anxiety-driven time. we got the election going on. You're probably busy at work, busy at home. So what's that beverage you're going to grab when it's time to chill? When you get that chance to relax, rewind, why don't you make it a Coors Light? Coors Light's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. 
It's literally made to chill, and its crisp and refreshing taste is as good as the Rockies for a moment to unwind. Coors Light's the one I choose when I want to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. You can get Coors Light delivered straight to your door at GetCoorsLight.com. And please always remember to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I frequently talk to you about how delicious Built Bars are. They're delicious protein bars. I really love eating them. And the same people that bring you Built Bar also bring you Built Go. It's a small, about one and a half ounce solution that gives you energy. They've got a couple different flavors. Um, It's sort of like a five hour energy shot. It comes in peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate milk. But the great thing about it is it's all natural. And it has protein in it that's fast absorbing. It gets into your system fast and it's easy on the stomach. Built Go kicks in and keeps you going strong. You can visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go today. Welcome back to Lockdown Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. We'll get back into the TCU-Texas Tech matchup in the next segment, but I want you to hear from Josh Neighbors. He's the host of the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Really insightful stuff. We bounce around the Big 12 in this interview that I did with him this morning on one of my radio shows. Here's Josh Neighbors from Locked On Big 12. I know you had Oklahoma State. Uh, I believe you had them number one in your power rankings, and it felt like they dominated that game against Texas, but just turned the ball over too much and gave the Horns a chance um, and end up losing that one. So how does that affect your sort of power structure in, in the Big 12 now? Uh, guys, first of all, you know, it's, I'm glad to be on here. We're not talking about mail-in ballots, not talking <laughs> about hanging chads, none of that, just talking some football. And it's a good place to start because my, my Power Rankings episode actually is coming out later today. I gave it a lot of thought. And after watching that game and going back and watching it a second time, I'm still convinced Oklahoma State's the best team in the Big 12. Mm. Um, they turned the ball over four times in that game. They outgained Texas by – uh, you know, o- over 200 total yards. And their defense, to be honest, played pretty well considering all the spots that their offense put them in. I, I still think it's Oklahoma State. Like you, have, it's, like, you have a really difficult time telling me that Oklahoma State is not the best team in the Big 12, right? I mean, the other team at the top of them right now is Iowa State. And Iowa State, you know, they beat them two weeks ago. And Kansas State just got hammered by West Virginia. Oklahoma's not there yet. That win against Texas Tech is not, you know, really good indicator. And that win against Texas, like, you come out of that game and you feel like Texas stole one. So I don't think you can rationally put another team ahead of Oklahoma State in the Big 12. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys agree with that or not, but I don't know who it would be. I don't really know how you would go about doing that right now. Josh, have you been surprised by Baylor's inability to move the ball on offense this year? Yes and no, right? So you, you kind of look at the running back weapons and you think that they should be able to move the football. you got a veteran quarterback coming back. Yeah, you lose some of the receiving core, but you should still be able to move the football a little bit. The reason why I say no is because, and actually it's something that Stephen and I talked about a, a week or so ago, that offensive line play is going to – it kills your entire team. Mm-hmm. It hurts your defense. It hurts your offense. I mean, it's going to hurt everything. Everybody knows this. And so that's Baylor's problem is they can't keep Brewer upright. And they can't run the football. And so, like, you know, uh, yeah, as soon as you watch them play, you feel like, man, I, I know these guys' names. I've watched them move the football. And this is a quarterback who was on a, uh, a almost Big 12 championship football team last year. They should be able to move the football. But 
that offensive line, I mean, I think last game was, I believe, four or five sacks they gave up, and that's been a trend, right? That feels like it's basically on a game-by-game basis. Taylor's offensive line has not been able to protect the quarterback. So the question becomes, could you put a new one back there, and would they do any better? And I think the answer with offensive lines is typically no. Right? If your offensive line is bad, it's really difficult to compensate that, even with a quarterback who might be a bit more mobile. Josh, going back to that Oklahoma State-Texas game, so do you feel like that win does anything for, for Tom Herman? I mean, obviously it's a, it's a nice win for Texas, but as far as chatter about his job in the hot seat, does that solidify his spot at all? No. I, the recruiting, they're just getting absolutely hammered. And uh, this is something that, you know, we've we, – everybody goes back and forth on this, but here's the issue, guys, and I'm sure you all have talked about this, right? The, the joke right now is, wow, that lucky upstart Texas – they went in there and got the big dog, Oklahoma State. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the other way around. Right. And that is the issue, right, is that, you know, in all credit to Sam Ellinger, man, he was – that was a bad performance by him. And he gutted that out, and especially on that third down uh, – or excuse me, late in the game, especially in overtime, man. That play he made was unbelievable. On the move, that is electrifying, awesome, awesome stuff. But, no, it's – the problem is that team gets four turnovers – and they feel like they still should have lost that game. They return a kick for a touchdown. If you had asked them at the beginning of the season, if you'd asked Texas fans, you said to them, hey, you turn over Oklahoma State four times and you return a kick for a touchdown, do you win that game? Uh, they say, hell yeah, we win the game by 21 points. So I, I think you have to take that into consideration. I, I think um, that is the issue for Texas. And, and also, too, they lost a bad game to TCU. They should have lost to Texas Tech. They lost to Oklahoma in what is pretty obviously a down year. What is the building block for Texas from this game? Because turning over great teams four times, that defense, having Joseph, Joseph Osai have the game of his life, returning a kick for a touchdown, uh, that's not a recipe for success. It's not recreatable, and I just think there's nothing blueprinty about this win, right? I mean, what is the, what is the established part of this win that you say, hey, look, we can build off that because there was nothing offensively. Yes, opportunistic defense, but not an offense that really cashed in a whole lot on those chances. Are Spencer Rattler and Marvin Mims the best quarterback-receiver duo in the league right now? No, it is Spencer Sanders and Tylen Wallace. Hmm. It's, here's the thing. Rattler and Mims are going to be horrifying, and I feel bad for defensive coordinators <laughs> for the next two years, three years. They're going to have to deal with those guys. I feel absolutely horrible for them. They are not the best two. Um, I think Sanders does benefit a lot from having Chuba Hubbard. Now, if you ask me, are they the most talented tandem? Yes. Are they the best two? No. I still think Sanders and Wallace deserve that distinction. Um, And, yeah, I just feel like their connection is there. But I think with that mention, like Oklahoma State's beginning to establish that they have different parts of that uh, offense, rather, right? I mean, it was Theo Weiss last week. Stogner has really developed well. The running game got going. So I think Sanders is learning to use all parts of that offense, and I think that's to their credit. That is not, that's not to diminish anything between Mims and what he and Rattler have going. So based on, on some things you said, and we're talking with Josh Neighbors from Locked On Big 12, I feel like I have an idea about this, but I wanted to ask, you know, you talked about Oklahoma State. You still feel like they're in a good position I had buried OU, Josh, after those early losses, but they've blitzed a couple teams in a row in TCU and Tech now. That schedule is is sort of getting easier as they go through the season. 
do you think it's starting to open back up for the Sooners as far as a path to Big 12 title game? Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys look at this. Look at the standings right now. There's six teams within first place, right? I believe there's six teams that have either one or two losses. So that really opened it up. Now, with that being said, you know, you're getting some really important games coming up. Um, I mean, I think about it this way. I think we've always thought about the Big 12 in terms of who's the number one spot, right? Because that number one, especially this season, that number one team was the team that was going to have the shot for the playoffs. Now with Oklahoma State have a loss, I still think they have a shot. I'm one of the few people that still believes that. I think now that we look at this, um, OU definitely has a chance. And we saw them last week uh, with Ramondre Johnson, and then also they got the running. You know, they were very good, nine for nine in the red zone last week for the Sooners. That's Oklahoma football. That is a team that we're used to seeing. Opportunistic defense, really good offense in the red zone. And so if they play like that, there's a good chance they find themselves in the Big 12 title game, whether they win it or not. But here's the thing. That's the kind of effort it's going to take to, to beat Oklahoma State. You have to mind your P's and Q's. And that's the one thing about Texas last week they did is they did not make too many mistakes. And Oklahoma, that's the key for them, right? When they play clean, good football, that Sooner team's really difficult to beat. It's just a matter of can they do it and can they do it consistently. So right now, who's the better running back when you look at the Big 12? Is it Chuba Hubbard or is it Brees Hall? So I love this question. I think this is an awesome question. So Chuba's best quality is the volume with which you can depend on him, right? That dude can lean on defenses in a way that I'm not sure we've seen a running back do, especially in this conference, uh, in a little while. And they've obviously had, had some, you know, they've had some good ones in, in the Big 12. The way he leans on them. Now, here's the thing. Tex did a good job of, of wrapping him up. I think what Shuba brings to Oklahoma State is the ability to open things up on the outside, right? You, can't, you, have to, you have to make sure that you put enough guys in the box to stop Hubbard because he is such a good, patient runner. He's very good. As soon as your linebackers commit one way or even get a hand on him, he's very good at changing directions and finding that hole. He's got that Le'Veon Bell-like patience that we always talk about. The problem is that Brees Hall is hitting home runs every single week. I mean, he is, he's Mark McGuire out there. This guy, nobody turns and burns like him. He hits the hole, and it's, it's, it's lights out. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's game over. And he, it seems like he's hitting two or three every game, right? And this guy is getting to the outside, and once he turns the corner, like I said, it's lights out. So performance-wise, it's been Brees this year. I think overall body of work, you got to say Chubas is better. If you said, Josh, one game, you're getting a pretty average offensive line, uh, you got to take your pick. Right now, in this moment, it's got to be Brees Hall, but I, I've been a gigantic Chuba Hubbard fan for a long time, so it's like it's 1A and 1B. If you're like, hey, at this moment, gun to your head, you got to take one, I'll take Brees just for the, the red-hot pace he's on right now and the way that line's blocking for him right now. Josh, a big picture question for you. We got in this discussion yesterday on the show. So interesting that you think Oklahoma State's still in the mix for the playoff. But we talked about if if they're already eliminated, you know, the Big 12 is the only Power 5 conference that hasn't won a playoff game yet. Um, Oklahoma has been there four times. They've lost by double digits in three of those games. So what do you think Big 12 teams are missing or these programs are missing that's keeping them from making it and then advancing on these big stages in the playoff era. So let me tell you all something. I was, I was the Peach Bowl last year between Oklahoma and LSU. And the, obviously LSU didn't get beat by anybody. But 
the one thing I was I was noting, and I was with a couple of friends of mine who are you know big football fans, a couple of guys that cover the sport as well too. The size discrepancy mm-hmm. between LSU's defense, Oklahoma and Oklahoma's defense, and then Oklahoma's defense and the offensive line for LSU was considerable. And besides Kenneth Murray, it didn't really feel like there was a whole lot of guys who belonged on that field out there with LSU. And that's the issue, right? And we saw this with Oklahoma, is that Oklahoma against uh, Alabama did not get it going. Did they belong on the field against Georgia? Hell yes, they did. 100% yes. A few years ago, they did belong there. That's why I liked Oklahoma State so much this year. I thought this defense, especially from a uh, tackling standpoint, right? The issue with Oklahoma's defense in the past is that they're not very good tackling teams. We even saw it this year against Iowa State. This, uh, this Oklahoma State defense is not that. They are good in space. They are good at team tackling. They are good at wrapping up. So I thought a team with better fundamentals would be a better – it's not saying it's, it's going to be, like, it's gonna be uh, an absolute yes. This team is now ready to compete, right? But it's going to be – that makes it closer. Like, and I know it sounds simplistic, but fundamental defense has killed Oklahoma's defense in all of those games. I mean, think about, think about any playoff game they were in. What playoff game did Oklahoma's defense perform well in? You can't name me one. And that's the issue. And, that, and that's why I think Oklahoma State's defense is, is on that level. I think Iowa State's defense might be there too, but their offense is too far behind. It can't make up that gap. Does Les Miles have any chance of turning that Kansas program around? Uh, I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm a Missouri graduate, so and I, I actually have no ill will towards Kansas. I, I, I went there uh, right after we split. Um, I hope yes, right? Like it, it is more fun for me as a Missouri fan. I want that rivalry to be good again. I, I want them to play meaningful games at Arrowhead Stadium again if they can get that rivalry going again with have basketball. So that part of me wants to say yes. I mentioned offensive line too. That's another issue for this team. Is I, I like Jalen Daniels and, and Les Miles compared to Cam Newton. Not that high on him. Uh, Les's comparison was a bit too much for me. But Jalen Daniels is a good player. The issue is, guys, those players can't develop and grow unless they go to a place where there's an offensive line to help them and players around them to help them. Take, for example, Khalil Herbert, right? Khalil Herbert has some flashes at Kansas, but a guy that's kind of off the radar goes to where? Virginia Tech. And he's the best player maybe on the football team, not just on the offense, on the football team. So that shows you that Kansas can get some good players, but putting it all together is such a difficult challenge that, that is, that's the issue, right? And I am not versed enough on recruiting to tell you how a school like – I mean, I know enough to tell you it's going to be hard for Kansas to put together a good enough roster to make that offense competitive, even in a conference – that, that gives it up offensively sometimes, just on a game-to-game, drive-to-drive basis. It's so challenging for that team to find consistency. And, oh, yeah, you got to build a defense, too, and uh, that's fine. But maybe they can look at Kansas State, and that could be a blueprint because that's a team that does more with less, but not to, be, not to make a pun there. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that it's a challenge that I'm not sure who the right person is for. I don't think Les is the right guy. I don't think like 95% of retreads would be the right guy. I, I don't think it's an indictment of less. I think it's going to take a special, special person to bring Kansas back to some kind of, uh, you know, averageness, I guess you could say. 
That's Josh Neighbors. I'd encourage you to check out the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Coming up, we'll look at this Texas Tech-TCU matchup again. What do we think is going to happen when TCU has the ball and Tech is on defense? That's what we'll cover when we come back on Locked On Horn Frogs. Final segment on Locked On Horn Frogs. It is Thursday, November 5th, a couple days away from TCU and Texas Tech. I wanted to remind you, wherever you listen to your podcast, <clears throat> pretty much all the services have an option to subscribe. So whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button. What that does, when a new episode drops, which I try to drop these at 6 a.m. every morning, you get it straight to your phone. And you can wake up, boom, it's right there. I can listen to Locked On Horn Frogs on my way to work on a commute um i can listen to it on my way to the gym while i'm working out while i'm going for a run whatever it might be you can make it a part of your morning you can wait until the afternoon evening but it goes straight to your phone and then it's right there it's convenient you don't have to search for it also uh rate and review me give me five stars give me four stars i prefer it if you wouldn't give me two three or one stars but if that's how you feel that's fine i'm open to constructive criticism and Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Tell your enemies about it. Tell your enemies you you hate it and you don't want them to listen. And maybe that will trick them into listening. But let's grow the show so I can eventually send my children to TCU as well. So we talked about the TCU defense. And is this a chance for them to continue the dominant play that they had for the majority of that Baylor game? Things sort of got away from them at the end. But for the most part, they played really well. And Matt Wells, coming in from Utah State, he wanted to establish a culture of toughness. He was a defensive guy with the Aggies at Utah State. That was something that he sort of hung his hat on, and he wanted to bring to Lubbock. Now, obviously, Tech, for as long as I've been alive, has been an air raid school, and defense has not been a huge priority. So... It's a change. And to this point, I don't think this is a really good defensive team that TCU is facing on Saturday. They've given up over 60 points in two of their games. They've given up over 30 points in five of their six games, including to Houston Baptist. And Houston Baptist has a good offense. But still, it's an FCS school. Their lowest point total of the year was only giving up 27 to West Virginia. They haven't made a ton of splash plays so far this year. And what I mean by that is they've only got seven sacks. Eli Howard leads the way with two and a half on the season. And they've only forced five turnovers all year. So two interceptions and three fumble recoveries. So ball security is going to be a big deal. I mean, this is a defense that hasn't forced turnovers TCU cannot become the team that goes in there and gives the ball away. And they've done a pretty good job of protecting the ball so far this season. I mean, Max Duggan's only thrown one interception. They haven't had a lot of silly turnovers. It's been good so far on that front. So, we, we've talked about it all week, but is, is this the week – and I know it depends on how the game's going to go, right? Like, if, if they get out to a big lead, as much as I don't agree with it, I assume that Gary is going to play conservatively, try to sit on the ball, try to shorten the game. Like he did in Lubbock last year when they got out to a big lead. And then things started to get away, started to get away from him, and they had to uh, eventually recover a fumble 
to seal that game and win it. But is this the week where you start to see some pedal the metal? You know, Parker Fleming, who covers TCU, he has got a Purple Theory newsletter. It's really good. I'd encourage you to subscribe to that as well. He tweeted out earlier this week that TCU only threw the ball beyond the line of scrimmage eight times on Saturday. Eight times. That's almost like Army running the triple option. That's giving your offense so few chances. And I just think it's criminal. When you have Tay Barber, when you have Quentin Johnston, potentially J.D. Spielman, even though we still don't really know what's what's going on with him. Blair Conright, who's sort of been MIA the last few weeks. And I think a big part of that is just them getting away from the passing game. But when you have these players that can make things happen in space, you don't only have to get them the ball on screen plays. <laughs> I mean, I think like there's a whole route tree available for Quentin Johnston. It doesn't just have to be either a screen or a go route. And as, as good as he is at those go routes or catching back shoulder fade, when there's one-on-one coverage, you can get him the ball in some different ways. Like you can throw him on a skinny post or a crossing pattern or something like that. They have to protect better, and they're going to have to be more aggressive if they're going to win games moving forward. Again, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas. You win those three games, you get to five wins, you're five and four. If you somehow beat Oklahoma State, you're six and three, and you've run the table, I don't see that as being likely. But if you drop one of those games, suddenly you're sitting at four and five. It's not what you wanted before the season. It's not necessarily the goal or what the goal should be. But I think it's obtainable, and it'd be a nice way to end your season on a high note if you have a winning record, and you should have a good chance of getting a bowl game. And that continues this week against Texas Tech. Can this offense start to grow? They took a step forward in the first half against Baylor last week, and then they decided that was all they were going to do. Is this the week where they put four quarters together? We'll talk about keys to the game tomorrow. Get you ready for Texas Tech. Also look around the rest of the Big 12 matchups. Locked on Horn Frogs, I'm Steven Simcox. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your Thursday. This has been part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.